Oh, well, church, it's so uh, good to be with you. We are um, in week two of a series called Love Thy Neighbor, uh, where we are just walking through this dream and reality of taking the great commandment um, seriously. So much that as I was talking with our staff and I was dreaming about what it looked like for us to be good neighbors, I wonder you heard from Becca last week in the back. I'm telling you, if you haven't listened to that message, I've heard a lot of sermons over like the series about neighboring, uh, and Becca by far uh, has the best one that I have ever heard to intro a message. Best one ever. So take a listen if you haven't. And one of the things that she talked about in there was that um, the mayor asked of Austin, where I was living when this uh, kind of came all together, said, the best thing you can do for your city is be the best neighbors. And I wonder for us as a church, I wonder if um, we as a church, we as a community, as followers of Jesus, not only followers of Jesus, but Pine Lake, that people that were moving into the area, when they were talking to realtors, like I'm talking to ours, saying, hey, I've heard something about this place, uh, this church called Pine Lake. Where are those people living? I want to live there. Like, what would a dream, what would a dream look like where if, if not only Pine Lake, but as followers of Jesus, people in the world began like talking to realtors and realtors like marketing saying, these are where the Christians live. You should live there. Like, this is the dream we're talking about. And that dream wasn't always a reality uh, for me. Uh, I want to share a story uh, of probably my um, most disrespectful moment uh, in my uh, call uh, as a pastor so far. Uh, And it came from a uh, 17-year-old boy uh, in Texas. Uh, We were uh, finishing up a series uh, talking about uh, taking Jesus seriously. And we were talking about this great commandment to love God. And then we were doing the other part, like we're doing today, love your neighbor. And this student, senior, had the guts. Uh, When we're talking about it, he goes, Austin, I'm not going to do it. I was like, why? And he goes, why should I do it if you're not? You know none of your neighbors. And I literally at that moment, right, any of you like middle schoolers, like parents, you get talked back to and you're like, any of you just like, none of you are just like, mm, that was so rude. I was as a pastor like fuming, right? And I was like, man, if I wasn't a pastor, I would say some things to you right now. Um, right? Like, if, or my kids talked about it, like, mm, there's going to be a consequence. But this kid, and in my most terrible pastor moment ever, instead of like sitting there going, you know what? You're right. I don't. And I was like, fine. I'm going to go tomorrow. And I'm going to know all my neighbors. And I'm going to come back next Wednesday. And I'm going to shove it in your face. And then you'll have to do it. And he was like, fine, do it. You have three days. And I was like, what? And so like literally <laughs> this moment, and I was like, fine. And all these students around there like watching us interacting like, how dare he speak? And I was like, I know how dare he speak like that. And I'm going to prove it to you. And none of y'all are going to speak like this to me again. But it was so uh, kind of a setup for what it was like to have kids later uh, just talking back. But then like the next moment, I took, um, at that time, um, Ellie was 16 months old on Monday. I stayed home. Uh, it was my day off, and I made cookies, and I walked around with my cute 16-month-old uh, daughter, and I walked around and knocked on every door and had my phone out, and I was like, every time somebody say their name, they're like, yeah, your name is, uh-huh, and you live at this one? Okay, right, awesome, right? And then the next one, I was like, uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, okay, this one, this one. And then, like, it took me, like, not even 24 hours. It took 12 hours, and I sent it to him in such a, like, prideful moment. I was like, David, 
sinned. And he came back with the most like sarcastic, good job, pastor. And I was like, oh, Lord. But I just think about this idea of what does it look like to be followers of Jesus. And um, I realized that in that moment, the biggest obstacle to loving our neighbors was that moment that I took my 16-month-old and walked around. You know how long it took us to go around and talk to my eight closest neighbors? It took me two hours. You want to know why? Because maybe it's in Texas, maybe not here, maybe it take like five minutes, because I've heard about this thing called the Seattle Freeze. And so maybe, but like every time I knocked on the door, everybody wanted to tell their story. Everybody wanted to tell me their story. And so you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm just trying to get your name to shove it to my student. Like that's all I'm trying to do. Just give me your name, how many kids you have, and I'm going to shove it to my student. Like that's all I wanted. But then I kept thinking about it. the biggest obstacle to us loving our neighbor is two is our time. Like, it's your time. Your time is your biggest, one of your biggest resources, but it's also going to be your biggest obstacle. It's going to take time. And so you might be thinking, like, well, why should we even do this? Who's got time for it? Well, I think Jesus has something for us. And I want you to turn in your Bible um, to Mark chapter 5. This is verses 21 um, through 35. And I'm going to read it for you, but if you have it in front of you, um, please look at it, uh, and let's look at it together. So it says this. When Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd had gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and he saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. And because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt her body, she felt it in her body, and she was freed from all of her suffering. At once she realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowd against you, his disciples answers, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Will you join me in prayer? God, as we come in this moment, uh, we come seeking you. Seeking a word from you. Something that will not only encourage us, but will remind us who you are and who we are. God, I'm so thankful that you are here in this place God, would you make these meditations of our hearts be pleasant and pleasing to you? God, we ask this in your name. Amen. You know one of the things that bothers me about Jesus and maybe boggles and wonders? Like, I know you might be thinking, like, who, who, why does Jesus bother you? Should Jesus bother you? Like, he bothers me sometimes. Like, in this moment, Jairus is coming to him. His daughter is dying. He's pleading with him to come heal my daughter. And Jesus is like, seems like he's just like strolling, whistling and doing right? Like he's going and he's just whistling and just going about not feeling like he's got any urgency in him. Like I think about that today, the pace of Jesus, like it's little maddening because 
there's urgency in here. And all of a sudden, he is just sitting and he's walking. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of him going to heal and to uh, a, a girl that is dying, he stops. He stops. He stops and addresses this woman. But like the pace of life, one of the things that I love about Jesus' pace is that it allows access to him. Right? Like Jesus has been walking from one place to another, right? From where he was with the crowd by the lake and now to somebody, to Jerry's home. And in that process, his pace allows people to have access to him. Like I wonder how many of us would say that we, in, in our places of coming and going and all the priorities and things that maybe we feel in our life, all the things that are on us and at us feel like somebody's dying. But how many of us in those coming and goings would have, would say that we're living in a pace of life that allows our neighbors to come up like this woman and interrupt everything that we're doing? Like, it is just maddening that Jesus would do this. Because if Jesus was doing this, and if I had asked Jesus and my daughter was sick, like, in the culture today, we would say that he's unkind. He's uncaring. Right? He's unloving. He is a bad teacher. He is terrible at time management right? And he is just a bad leader. Like, we would say, like, and if you were, like, a disciple, and maybe you knew him, you'd be like, Jesus, you're a bad friend, right? Like, if I texted you and I said, hey, come here. I need you to help this. I'm really urgent. Um, will you help me? And you're like, I would call you and be like, you're a bad friend. You're a bad friend. I know there's a theme about bad friends going on lately in my life, but that's okay. I'm just, I'm getting over it. But this thing about uh, this thing about Jesus' pace has something for us. Like, it has a pace that I wonder if we allow our pace to slow down and to have people in our lives, right? What does it look like to have people over progress? People over projects? People over checking off the box? This is what Jesus did. Like, Jesus, yes, a huge box, a huge thing that he was going after to heal a little girl's life. But yet, somebody came into his life, and he had space and access for them. But then there's that other part, right? That when Jesus finally meets, it's not only that Jesus has a pace that's different, and I wonder if a pace is so different in our lives, right? The juxtaposition between our pace and Jesus' pace is so different, but so is his presence, right? In that moment, like, you don't just have access to Jesus. Like, the woman who is sitting there doesn't just have access to Jesus, but he got her full attention, like her full undivided attention. And could you imagine Jerry is standing there and Jesus is asking, like, you see the, the disciples interacting? It's like, who touched you? But what is Jerry's feeling? Jerry's is pissed, right? He's like, wait, you're going to, this woman who's not dying and you're going to stop for her? Like, this is like a woman that shouldn't even be in proximity. But with Jesus, not only do you have access to him, but you also have his full presence. And I think about this in my own journey of neighboring, is that um, we were in the spring of 2015, and my wife was coming home from work. She was a teacher, uh, and she got rear-ended. She got in a wreck so bad that we had like a little um, Accord hybrid that so, so hard that they hit her that it pushed all her trunk all the way back to the end of the battery. Like the whole trunk was gone. It was sitting in the back seat. Hit her so hard. And so she calls me. She's crying. And we talk. And she's getting all the information. She finally pulls up into the house. And I have a beer waiting, right? Because you need to relieve that tension. And we're going to sit on the front porch. And then all of a sudden, as we're like working through it, she's like, the tension's releasing. But then she's like, oh, my neck hurts. And then all of a sudden, who comes up but our neighbor three doors down that we do not want to talk to? 
Like this is the person that shouldn't in our presence. I'm a pastor and she is the farthest away from what you should interact with a disciple of Jesus. Yet she comes to us in the midst of my, like, our hurt and our, and our sadness about this car that we had just paid off. And we're like, what are we going to do? And she begins to spill her life story. Right? All of her problems that she had had with her partner— and is having with her partner, all the things that she had with her previous partner, all the things that she's having with her kids, all the things that happened in the neighborhood. She just sits there and tells us her entire life story while my wife is over there in agony because she just got rear-ended. Like, and my neighbors saw it. Like, they saw my wife pull the car up in, and the whole thing, she's like, that looks like a clown car. But she still comes up because we're sitting in the front yard. And I wonder this place that it reminded me is that once we give access to people, they're going to want our full presence. Once they know that you have access, like, that's a beautiful thing about Jesus, but the beautiful thing about us and the thing that it reminds me, not only as a disciple, but a dad, as a friend, um, as a pastor, is that when you have access, people are going to want your full presence. They're going to want your full presence. And my neighbor wanted my full presence, and the last thing that I wanted to do was to say to her, go away. Like, I really wanted, who has had that moment where a neighbor or somebody comes to you and you're like, oh my gosh, go away. Maybe it's your child. <laughs> Ooh, maybe it's your spouse. Go away, right? Maybe it's your coworker. Uh, maybe it's the email that pops up and you're like, uh, mm-hmm. But like, I was saying, go away. But I love that about Jesus. How many, if we're patterning our life after Jesus, how do we look at the man who is the savior of the world and say, Go away. Jesus and this woman is interacting. She doesn't say, he doesn't say, go away from me. The disciples don't kick his posse, his entourage, don't kick her away. But he looks at her in a full presence and says, dear daughter, let me complete your full transformation and healing. And that's what I've realized with our neighbors is that over the last eight nine years, that if we engaged in this idea of neighboring really well, of being the best neighbors on the block, not only because Jesus calls it to, because we love him dearly, and we love them dearly, is that people are going to tell us everything. And so what do we do? What do you do when you're about to leave from here, and you are all about to go into your neighborhoods, and you're going to be that person that's like, your neighbor's going to come, and you're going to be like, no, no. <laughs> not you, not today, right? Like, that, that is it. Maybe some of you are like, well, I'm going to go to a hotel then, uh, right? Like, you're like, I'm going to book a hotel. Um, but this is what the idea of, what does it look like to be disciples of Jesus? Well, I think as we, as we pattern after Jesus, we need to pattern in a way of creating space as neighbors, right? Jesus's pace allowed access. And here's the thing about it. If time is your biggest obstacle, to neighboring, here's the most important thing. It's not what you do with your time, right? Because some of us, you can't create time. I would love Jesus to come and say, Austin, you have been such a good follower of Jesus. I'm giving you two more hours in the day. Everybody's going to, we're going to do a Zach Morris timeout. Everybody's going to stop for two hours and you get two extra hours, right? Like, I'm like, oh Lord, like one-on-one time with my wife or just me time. Like how many would be like, "Mm, yes, but Jesus isn't creating any more time. So it's not just what you do with your time. It's where you spend your time. Create space. And so you might be asking like, Austin, what's this thing behind you? Well, I hope you know what this thing is. This is a picnic table. So the way that we created space in our family 
was we took one of these things and we put it in our front yard. And we proclaimed that we were going to be front yard people, right? Because you know, like, if you ever, like, have been to the south or Texas, um, it's so hot there that you go from your air conditioning car, you undo, you open up the garage, you put the garage down, you get out, and you run inside to the air conditioning again, right? And we got in this moment, it's like, I don't even know my neighbors. I know what cars they drive, but I don't know who drives what car. I know what model, what color. Like, I know who they are by their car, but I don't know them. And then I, and then Jesus is like, uh, they don't know you. And I was like, dang it. And so what we did is we like, we're going to be front yard people. So what we did is we went to Lowe's and bought a table just like this, and we painted it turquoise. And we put it in our front yard, right? It was a turquoise table right in the front yard. And let me tell you this. People drove by as we were, I'm sitting just like this, watching our kid, like our kids play, um, Ellie, and then when we had Gwen, we're just outside, and I swear we almost probably caused like 30 wrecks. Because people are driving past a little circle, and they go, oh, God. Right? Like, they're hitting parked cars. They're about to go up on a curb. And my neighbors are like, why did you do that? But we became known as the turquoise table. Like, the turquoise table people. Like, all of a sudden, when we would be walking around, and we'd be pulling out and trying to get to know our neighbors, we're like, oh, we live. And they're like, where do you live? I was like, oh, we live at, um, at this house, 1600 White Oak Loop. Um, and they're like, oh, you're the table people. And we're like, yep, that's us. And they're like, and then you wait for the next thing. And they're like, some are like, that's so weird. I'm like, I know. And they're like, some are like, that's so cool. But what happened is we began to create space that not only what, what we did with our time, but where we spent our time. What we did is we said, we're going to put this in our front yard. We're going to eat dinner here. We're going to have lunch here. We're going to do brunch on Saturday. We're going to play in our front yard in the Texas heat when it's 105 degrees. We're going to see sweating and all of a sudden, you know, it's going to be dripping, right? We're going to have the sprinkler on as we eat. Like we were front yard people because we decided that when Jesus, his pace looked different. To give access to our neighbors means where we spent our time was really important. Because in Texas, they say good fences make good neighbors. But those are 10-foot fences. And if you lose a ball, you lose a ball. So we decided, like, what would it look like if we were in the front yard and giving access? And you know what the fun thing was? Is that as we sat here in the front of our picnic table in the front yard, people started coming to our house. People that would walk by would stop because we'd have, like, snacks and drinks and coffee and other things here. And all of a sudden, it became a gathering place for people. Because they knew that this wasn't just a decoration, a pretty turquoise table that looked Tiffany turquoise, It was a place where we lived life, and people had access. And the moment that we put and planted that table there, and then we had full access. But not only full access, but full presence. I can tell you one thing I loved about COVID for the first three months is it created a lot of time. You know the truth about what happens when you create a lot of time in our culture? People go crazy. They don't know what to do with it. Like, they absolutely don't know what to do with free time. And so what did we do instead of, like, enjoying that free time, enjoying this space? What we did is we filled it back up with everything. How many people's schedule right now is busier than it has ever been? Nobody, just me. Awesome. Great. Y'all are good followers of Jesus. I'm terrible. I'm the chief of sinners. Here we go. But I haven't imagined that your schedules are so full, probably even before COVID, and we learned nothing. We didn't learn anything about Jesus' pace of life. Or his presence. But it made me think about that. Not only that we were going to be front yard people, 
but we were going to be people that loved and gave access. Here's the thing about it. I, Jesus could have easily, you could easily, like with your neighbor, like you can associate her as the woman. And you can easily say, man, friends, get her away from me. Get them away from me. Right? Let's go inside. Like you shouldn't be around me. Or we can choose to have that full presence in their life to be like Jesus, to participate in the full transformation and healing of your neighbors. When we moved to Connecticut and we were unloading, um, I feel like today's confession day. We were unloading our truck. Um, we had Ellie and Gwen at the time. And we are those people, we lost our kids. First day on the block. People from our church were unloading and we lost our kids. And I looked at Ashley. Ashley looked at me. And parents, have you ever had that where you like look at each other and you know? You're like, <gasps> fear gripped us. And we ran. And all of a sudden, like we run to the front yard. And we're like, Ellie, Gwen. And our neighbors are like, hey, we got them. And they're like, don't worry. Once you finish, we'll have a beer and a drink for you afterwards. And I was like, this is the place. We not only became front yard people, but we became places where people had access. The next step of not only just having a picnic table is what we started to do is give people the full presence of us, right? We knew when our neighbors, our dear neighbors, that were moving into this house uh, next door to us, before they even bought it, we were out there walking with our dog. We were out there playing with our kids. And our kids, if you know anything about them, if you're a stranger, the one, um, our oldest, will walk right up to you and be like, Hi. My name's Ellie. What's your name? Right? Or our dog. It's just that way. And I'm like, sorry. But what happened was, is by being in front, giving our full presence to people, we began to hear their stories. We began to be invited into people's homes and invite people into our homes. We had birthday parties on the front lawn. We had pull your grill out on the, on, on the street. Our kids were scooter gangs. The thing about being fully present is it allowed us space for them to not only see what we're doing, but be invited into our life. The woman wasn't just walking up to Jesus to be healed. Jesus was inviting her to be healed and invited into the fullness of life. And I wonder for us, is we give our full presence to our neighbors and we allow them space and access to life, I wonder if we're not just asking them to just get to know them, but we're asking to participate in their life and to participate in their being and healing and also inviting in them into the fullness of life that is Jesus. Can I tell you one of the hardest things about moving here was? We left here on, Tuesday, on, on, a, on a Tuesday, went back to Connecticut. And before we even started telling people at our church, we told our neighbors. Our neighbors deserved to know. And this is the thing, is that most of them were like, oh, that's cool, have a good time. They were like, no, don't leave. This is what happens when not only you allow people access into your life, but when you're fully present because the Jesus who is fully loved, the embodiment of love, that we as Jesus followers 
begin to reflect, embody, impart that who is love on to our neighbors. We get to invite and to hear their stories. That even right now, there's moments where I get to participate with our neighbors in knowing and telling them that Jesus loves them when they're going through the deepest and darkest things. The thing about Jesus and about, about loving your neighbors is that no matter where you go, when you give them access and full presence into your life, Jesus goes with them. Time is going to be your biggest barrier. But my question to you is, it's not what you do with your time, but where do you use it? My encouragement to you is to not only to get here into this place of knowing your eight closest neighbors, not so that you can come back and be like, ha-ha, pastor, shove it in your face. So that you can say, like Becca said last week, and this has been the biggest joy, is that God is working in my neighbors, and I get to be invited and to participate with life. And I'm going to say this. I think we're often too disassociated Christians. And this is what I'm going I'm to leave you with. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And as Western Christians, we are compartmentalized. That we believe that loving Jesus can happen in its complete fullness without loving our neighbor. What I've learned and what I've experienced is this life transformation is that I actually love God by loving my neighbor. I actually understand better the fullness of Christ embodied in human form in my neighbor. That when I look at them, I don't just see them as my neighbor. I see them as the full embodiment of love, the reflection of the Trinity, and I love God more because of them. And my, dis- and my friends say that because my neighbors say, you love us so well, I know that you love Jesus. It has been the most freeing thing that not that I believe that I follow Jesus well, but because I love my neighbors, my neighbors say I follow Jesus well. I wonder if we took this seriously, that we allowed to a loving our neighbors to affirm that we love God. That I would even say right now, that I think our love for Jesus is litmus test by our love for our neighbor. If we don't love our neighbor, do we even love God? Do you even love God if you don't love your neighbor? It was something that I've learned a hard lesson, and I will be a confession again. We live on two acres, and I'm trying to learn how to love my neighbors. It's taking a lot more time, and time I don't want to give. So church, I'm doing it with you. I'm going to be fully present. I'm going to give full access. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, there's something about you that I am not. You are the best neighbor that has ever existed. 
And God, I pray that we receive the hope and the invitation that loving people is the mission that we're invited into. God, that you don't invite me to convict, to convert, to challenge. You've invited me to love. And so God, I take that full conviction, that full Holy Spirit speaking into my life to say, if you love me, Austin, if you love me, you will love your neighbor. God, I pray for us. I pray for us as Pine Lake community that not only would we be people that hear your word, but we are transformed by it. God, that what we come today is not for information, but transformation. So God, take our hearts, take our minds, let us ingest and indwell the word from you and let it change us from the inside out. God, I know that we don't have the time. But I pray that you will create space for us. God, would you come? Would you give us eyes and ears to see and to hear our neighbors? That if anything you do, you allow us to see that they are created in the very image of God with full worth, full love, full acceptance, worthy of your love. God, we ask this in your name. Amen.